Well, welcome back to the book of Proverbs. It's been a couple of weeks uh, since we've been here. We've looked through chapters 1 and 2, and uh, now in this wonderful uh, chapter, chapter 3, let me pray before we look at this together. The chapter begins with an instruction to not forget uh, this teaching. Lord God, we are so quick to forget your word. We're so quick to think of other things and get distracted. And so, Lord, we ask that this evening, as we look at this wonderful passage together, you would uh, push this passage deep into our minds and hearts so that we would not forget. Help us to keep hold of this in our minds uh, so that when we need it, uh, it would come forwards and we could live by it. Help us, we pray now, by your spirit as we look at this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what if you could have a life where whatever situation you were in, in plenty or in want, in good time or in bad, you could in that situation have joy and peace? What if you could have a life of contentment, one where you were never left wishing that things were different? Or what if you could have a life that was free from fear? A life that was so secure that even if the world collapsed around you, you weren't shaken by it? And what if you could become a person so generous that you freely and joyfully give your life away in the service of others? Wouldn't that kind of life be attractive? Wouldn't that be the kind of life you really long for? In any situation, to be joyful, contented, secure, and generous. Now the Bible has a word for that kind of life, and the word is blessed. The blessed life. That's what Proverbs chapter 3 describes. That's what Proverbs chapter 3 offers. That's what God offers to us. That life, the blessed life, to any who will place all their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read through the first of the three chapters of Proverbs, You read through chapters 1 and 2, then you get to chapter 3, and the first thing that you realise is just how immensely positive it is. Chapter 2 was all about the dangers of life, particularly the judgment of God that comes upon sinners. And it said that wisdom was found in realising just how dangerous a predicament we're in and coming to the Lord for salvation. Chapter 3 teaches, though, that... When we realise the wisdom of coming to the Lord, it's not only that he saves us from what is bad, it's also that he gives us what is good, that he blesses us as we come to him. Now just look with me at verses 1 to 8 for a moment and just see there the way that the results of God's blessing are described in these first eight verses. Verse 2, length of days and years, and peace. Verse 4, favour, 
and success in the sight of God and men. Verse 6, straight paths. Verse 8, healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. See how positive it is? This is describing what Jesus calls life to the full. Jesus says of those who come to him in John chapter 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here we see that blessed life that Jesus offers as a gift to all who trust in him. We're going to see as we go through how you get that life first of all. And then we're going to see three particular blessings that come uh, that we discover as a result. First of all, how do we get this life? Verses 1 to 8. Put all your trust in the Lord. It's important that we start in the right place. The teaching of chapter 3 is not primarily how to become one of God's people. He told us actually how to do that in chapter 2. As the father who speaks in these passages showed us that the only way to be saved from ourselves in our foolishness was to fall on God's grace for mercy and a rescue. Here the father is the teacher of this book. He speaks to his son and he sees him as one who's already been rescued by the Lord. One who's already received God's grace. In New Testament language he speaks This passage is speaking primarily to those who have already been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, to those who are Christians. And what he's doing is he's coaching those who are already on the team. He wants our hearts to be increasingly conformed to God's word so that we can fully experience the blessing that God has for us. And what's the main thrust of his message as to how to experience the blessed life? Well, it's found in verses 5 to 7, probably uh, the most famous verses in all of Proverbs. You've probably seen them on a fridge magnet somewhere. Uh, Notice as I read it, though, that those fridge magnets tend to end after verse 6. They don't include verse 7, but you need verse 7. That's critical to understanding what it's saying. 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Before I was in ministry, I was an outdoor instructor for a while and one of my favourite activities to run was an abseil session It was probably the session that pushed people the most. People were generally um, fearful of doing it and uh, beforehand, so they'd really have to push through in order to do it. And it was a great um, kind of thing to see them to overcome their fears. Now, one of the things about abseiling is that you can't do it half-heartedly. Often you'd see people and they'd they'd come up to to do the activity and they'd get to the edge and and they'd sort of just grip the ropes really hard and they sort of step down kind of tentatively um, in a sort of upright position. And that's not how they've been told to do it um, by the instructor. And it's generally a bad move because what happens is you inevitably go smack um, into the boards in front of you on your face. 
They did that, though, because they didn't really trust that the ropes and the harness would hold them. And actually, they didn't really trust that the instructor knew what he was talking about. They were trusting in themselves. They, they thought the way through it was their own ability to hold on really tight, to bear their own weight. What they really needed to do was to sit back into the ropes, to put all their weight into the harness, to place all their trust in the instructor's wisdom. Those that did that, well, they thoroughly enjoyed the experience. And what you'd notice is that as they did it, they begin to encourage others to give it a go too. Those that didn't do that, those who were so panicked that they held on for themselves, they couldn't quite trust um, what the instructor was saying. Those who did that, well, they, they were still kept safe, but they hated the whole journey. And they would never speak of it positively to anyone else. There's a way of living the Christian life that is joyless and fearful and stumbling. There's a kind of Christian person who grits their teeth and miserably drags themselves through life, never rejoicing, only grumbling, and of course, never recommending it to others. There's a phrase for that kind of person where I come from. Uh, if you gave them a donut, they'd complain about the whole. Maybe you know some people like that. They lean on their own understanding. They're seeking to work it out all on their own. They're always holding something back from God, never fully trusting that the Lord's way is the best way. They're wise in their own eyes, and actually it makes them miserable. But there's another way. The blessed life, life in all its fullness, that's experienced as you place all your weight on Jesus, as you put your life fully into his hands. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The degree to which you trust him is the degree to which you come to fully experience the steadfast love and faithfulness of his character. So in verse 3, the more you experience his character and his steadfast love for you, the more you realise that your trust in him is well placed, what you find is that then starts to adorn your life and your character too. You give that kind of person a donut. And not only do they light up and thank you for it, they take most of it and give it away to others so that they can enjoy it too. Life for that kind of person is fully alive. And the blessed life that they're experiencing in the Lord is something that they radiate to others. This is the life that's on offer to us if we will fully place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Immensely positive, isn't it? A real blessing. Let's take a moment, though, just to tackle the obvious question that we have in our minds. Life doesn't always look like this. And for those of us who've got an idea of, sort of Christian teaching somewhere across the world and what's going on in the world, we'll, we'll have our sort of antenna up for prosperity gospel teaching 
that false gospel which is so prevalent in our world, which, which says essentially, do this or that for God, and he will make you healthy, and he will make you wealthy, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. Doesn't this sound like that might be the case? Well, you'll guess that I'm going to say no, that that's not what this teaches. And uh, here are a few reasons why that's not the case. First of all, this, this passage doesn't stand alone. It stands in the context of this book and in the context of the whole Bible. And, and that teaching would contradict the whole teaching of the Scriptures. It would contradict the real lives of the people described in the Bible too. The most godly people suffer. Job did. Moses did, David did, Paul did, and of course the perfect man, Jesus, did. And Solomon, the author, he's well aware of suffering. He experienced it himself. So we need to at least give him some credit that he's not as foolish as to write something so obviously against the scriptures and against real experience. But secondly, here's an important point to grasp on this subject, is that the Bible's perspective on blessing is not constrained to physical and material blessing in this life alone. The Bible's perspective on blessing takes spiritual blessing and eternal blessing into account. Jesus Christ spoke like this in Mark chapter 10. We've been going through Mark's gospel in the morning services. We're going to get to this passage in a couple of weeks' time. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. He's speaking to his disciples and he says this, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, that is they put their trust in Jesus with their lives, no one who's done that who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, hardship, and in the age to come, eternal life. You get temporal in this time, temporal blessings, eternal blessings in the age to come, eternal life. They're interwoven together in the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples along with persecutions. I notice too that Jesus' language in that verse, it's, it's metaphorical to some degree. Who has ever received 100-fold mothers for following Jesus? Who would want to? He's speaking physically to a degree. God does bless us with many material things. But he's also speaking metaphorically, hyperbolically, to show the magnitude of the blessing that he offers us. Same thing going on here in Proverbs 3. One final reason that this clearly isn't a prosperity gospel where everything is rosy is that within Proverbs 3, there's mention of hardship for believers. Actually, that brings us to our second section. We've seen that we should trust the Lord. That's his instruction to us, put all our trust in the Lord and we'll be blessed. But now he comes to explain the particular blessings that we can expect to discover when we do that. And the first is in verses 9 to 20, and it's the blessing of contentment. Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 12, describe contrasting situations. Situation 1, everything's great. 
Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Situation one, that is. But then we get this, situation two, immediately after. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. You see the contrast? What does the person who trusts the Lord do in the good times to start with when they've received good gifts from God? Well, they don't go after more as worldly people do. No, they give it away. That phrase at the beginning there, honour the Lord with your wealth, I think it's more accurately translated, honour the Lord from your wealth. That is, to give it away, that you give to those in need. You give to serve the kingdom, the work of ministry. And you do that joyfully and gladly because you believe that everything you have is a gift from him, a gift from God, and are given to you so that you can give it away again. But then, situation two, when hardship strikes, what does the person who trusts the Lord do? How do they handle that? Well, they see it rightly. They see it as the discipline of a loving and wise father for our good. You're content in those times as you see it as God's wisdom at work to make you holy. And the writer of the Hebrews teaches this in chapter 12 when he quotes these verses. The person that fully trusts in the Lord will be blessed by contentment in plenty and in want. Why? Because they trust that the Lord is a good and wise father, that what comes from his hand, whether easy or hard, is for their best. When we grasp that truth, we discover real blessing in life. And just how valuable this is, is described in the poem that follows in verses 13 to 20. It's as if off the back of this idea of of trusting the Lord in these various different situations in life, the father reflects on just how wonderful it is to know that that's true, that he loves us. The one who trusts the Lord in the hard times, they find blessing and contentment because they realise that God is at that moment doing something in them that is of far greater value than any amount of material wealth. The gain to be found in grasping this particular truth is better than silver or gold and more precious than jewels. Verse 14 and 15. It is a way of pleasantness and a path of peace. Verse 17. It is a tree of life to those who cling to it. Verse 18. Now, will we always understand what God is doing in these different situations we face? No. And I think the Father wants to make that point in verse 19. It seems a bit of a strange way thing to say in verse 19. But I think this is the point he's making, that there's a mystery to the Lord's ways. So, you know, who would have come up with the idea that, that the water in the sea goes into the clouds invisibly 
and then it returns invisibly in the morning as dew on the ground, but without the salt in it. Now, who would have, who would have dreamt that up? That's, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? He's saying, look, the Lord's wisdom is greater than ours, and he does things that we only see but a glimpse of, yet it's always for our ultimate blessing. Grasping these truths, we discover uh, what the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs called that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. The one who trusts in the Lord discovers the blessing of contentment. But that's not all. Second blessing that we discover as we trust in Jesus is this, verse 21 to 26. It's the blessing of freedom from fear. Now this stream of blessing, it flows out of the same source as the previous one. Trusting in the Lord, it brings a deep security to the person. And none of us like to be out of control, do we? I don't like that. You don't like that. We like to have everything in place. We like to know what to expect. We like to keep the environment risk-free so that there are no nasty surprises. And by and large, in the West, we've spent much of our lives having some mastery of control on things. Our wealth has allowed us to control what we eat, to control where we live, to control what we do for a living, to control what we do with our free time in a way that much of the world cannot do, or the poorer elements of our society cannot do. We are comfortable. Tomorrow is not likely to be life and death to us, at least as far as we can see, and therefore most of us don't go to bed feeling anxious whether or not tomorrow will be our last day. Or at least that, that is how we felt, isn't it? Just a few months ago, our society, generally speaking, had no need to fear that sudden terror might come upon us. But then things changed, didn't they? Doesn't the offer in these verses seem more attractive to us because of what we're currently facing. The father says to his son and says to us that if you keep sight of the wisdom of putting your life in fully into the Lord's hands, verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. How many of us have had sleepless nights recently? Throw yourselves into the Lord's arms and when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When it gets to bedtime and we begin to think in the, in the dark, in the quietness of our beds and those, those fears come creeping in, the person who trusts in the Lord, well, they have somewhere to go with them, don't they? They can bring them to Jesus for he cares for them. And so they can rest and sleep. And there's no such refuge for those who do not know Christ. 
Actually, there's more to say than that. For that fear of suffering, that anxiety we have about tomorrow, it's a symptom of the greater fear that all humanity have deep inside. It's fear of judgment by God. For those who trust in Jesus, there is freedom from the fear of suffering and death and from the eternal judgments that will so quickly come when the Lord Jesus returns. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin, literally the storm of the wicked, when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. As a believer, I have this unique confidence that Jesus Christ has already received the storm of God's judgment upon himself. And that he did so on the cross in my place so that when that judgment falls on all of rebellious humanity on the last day, it will not fall on me. The believer in Jesus is the only one who can have freedom from the fear of temporary suffering and even of eternal suffering. What a blessing it is to know freedom from fear. Finally, there's one more blessing to discover, verses 27 to 35. It's the blessing of being a blessing to others. If you believe that every blessing that you've received, every good thing that is in your life, that you've received from God is a gift. It's not been earned by you. It was given to you as a gift. Well, then you don't need to hold on to any of it. You can give it all away. If you're confident that your life is completely secure, eternally secure, held in the hands of a loving father, well, then you can be generous with your life, with all things, can't you? Even give your life up for others. At the close of this lesson, the father works out the logical conclusion of receiving the blessing of God. That you can pass that blessing on to others. And briefly, we're going to just look at two ways that that plays out. One, we give what is good. And two, we withhold what is evil. So first of all, we give, we give what's good. Verse 27 do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbour, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So we're no longer self-centred, we're generous. We give away what we have. And what do we have that we can give? Well, of course we have material things. We can, we can share those with our, with our neighbours share whatever we have with our neighbours. It's been given to us by God. No need to hold on to anything. But Paul says something interesting in Romans chapter 1. He says that he, he believes about himself that he is a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. And then he says this, 
That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you. See, Paul sees that the gospel belongs not to him, but to others. That he has it in his keeping so that he might share it with others. It is in his power to give the gospel to his neighbours. And it it is as if he is in debt to his neighbours if he does not. And this is part of the blessing of being a blessing to others. See, we give all things away as they have need, as others have need. But especially we give the gospel away as the gospel meets their needs, their most desperate needs. We give what is good. Secondly, we give what is good, first of all, but then the counterpart to that is that we withhold what is evil. Verse 29 to 32. Do not plan evil against your neighbour who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. If you've learned to trust in Jesus and you find the joy and the contentment that he offers, then you stop seeking to take advantage of those around you. There's no need to push yourselves up and push others down. You have every blessing that you need and therefore you have no desire to gain at others' expense. In fact, evil ways such as this will have no attraction for you. That's what verse 31 is saying. Though others in this world may seem to gain from such evil practices, you won't envy them because you'll be content. You know the Lord. You're in his confidence. So what more do you need? So the conclusion of this father's lesson here is the logical one that we as the ones who have been blessed freely as, by gifts of God's grace will in turn bless the world, both by what we offer them, our possessions and our gospel, but also by what we do not do as we refrain from evil. We've come to the end of this lesson, but what note does it end on? Have a look down with me at verses 33 to 35. As you go through these first nine chapters of Proverbs, the Proverbs oft, the, the passages often end in the same sort of way. They lay out a choice for us, two possible responses and two possible uh, outcomes, consequences, two ways that we can respond to what we've heard and two things that will happen depending on how we respond. That's what it does here in verses 33 to 35. Those who refuse to trust in the Lord Jesus, those who remain proudly trusting in themselves, well, what do they receive? Well, they receive the Lord's curse. They receive scorn from the Lord. They receive disgrace. Curse, scorn, 
disgrace. It's a terrible future if we make that choice. But those who trust in Jesus, those who humble themselves before him and place their lives, throwing all their weight on him, in Christ, what do we receive? Blessing is on the dwellings of the righteous. To the humble, he gives favour, grace, and the wise will inherit honour. Those who honour Christ receive honour from Christ. This is the blessed life that Jesus offers to those who trust in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you that you are a good and wise Father who only ever gives what is good to his children. O oh Lord God, we thank you for all the blessings that are ours in Christ, the material things that we have, the spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenly realms, the life that you give, the full life, abundant life, eternal life that you give to those who trust in you. Help us, we pray, to place all our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.